What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Mainline Podcast on this scorching hot Tuesday, June 20th. I'm your host, Tyler Burton. My co-host, Adam Jacquez, has got the night off. He's got some family in, to- in town, so enjoy- he's enjoying the time spent with them. But we do have a great episode in store for you tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Brent Venables in Oklahoma coming off of what many are calling a very successful champion barbecue over the weekend. And we've got the man at Captain 405 joining us to break it all down, including a couple of brand new commitments for the 2024 class that happened, honestly, a little less than an hour ago. So Captain 405 is in the house. Cap, how are we doing, man? We're doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm going to try and fill Adam's shoes here briefly. <laughs> that shouldn't be too terribly hard, Adam. Just giving you a hard time. But yeah, man, let's just kind of dive right into it. Obviously, uh, Brent Venables in Oklahoma had the uh, you, you know the annual Champion Barbecue Weekend, the biggest recruiting event of the year uh, in Norman, Oklahoma, just went down. So let's just kind of kick things off, man. Obviously, um, before we kind of get into the barbecue stuff, we had two commitments that just came off. Uh, just came online about an hour or so ago. Obviously, Oklahoma getting the the commitment of uh, North Carolina linebacker James Nesta, a uh, two-sport athlete that's going to be playing both football and baseball here at the University of Oklahoma. And then just a little bit further south down I-35 in Fort Worth, Texas, Oklahoma gets the commitment of three-star wide receiver Dozy Ezukanma. So, Cab, just talk a little bit about these two and what Oklahoma's getting. James Nesta is a two-port, a two-sport star. Uh, plays football and baseball. He's a linebacker, um, and I think whenever Brent Venables looked at James Nesta, he saw quite a bit of himself in that tape and just the mindset and the way that he plays. But uh, James Nesta is a is a talented linebacker. He's not. Uh, he's a three-star prospect. But when you look at his film, he's got a lot of upside as far as just his overall athletic ability. And, and his instincts, he's got good speed. And, and then on the baseball side, he, he throws a 95-mile-an-hour fastball and uh, Skip Johnson and the baseball staff are really excited about what they're getting with him on, on that as well. And then with uh, Izakonma, I'll be honest, this was a, a surprise to me whenever this mm-hmm. uh, came up uh, about five minutes after uh, Nesta announced this evening. And, and talking to a few other people that, that they were also surprised. I don't think uh, the, the timing of this was, was put out there in advance by, uh, by his economy at all. And so uh, definitely a welcome surprise to get a, a wide receiver that OU has, has been high on as far as his upside. Uh, if the name sounds familiar to OU fans, it's because his brother Eric uh, is a former Texas Tech wide receiver and current Miami Dolphins receiver. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot of, of connection there as far as OU's familiarity with the family and everything. But in Dozy, you get a guy who's got, uh, he's got good speed, he's got uh, good size, and has a really good chance. When you pair him with the other receivers that OU has committed and that, and that they have on the board right now, it, it makes up a pretty good wide receiving core. And, and I know that um, when you look at, what Dozy brings to the table there, there was a lot of promise there just as far as how he fits in the scheme and what he can bring. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, Dozy as a obviously, you know, another wide receiver and, you know, another feather in the cap uh, for Emma Jones. So anytime that you're able to, 
you know, keep the keep the brothers in the family, keep them, you know, in your wide receiver room. You know, that's going to pay dividends for Oklahoma moving forward. And like you said, just a nice compliment with this kid to go along with, you know, current wide receiver commitments, Zion Kearney uh, and Kelly Daniels, the uh, the speedster out of Franklinton, uh, Louisiana. So, uh, again, uh, Parker Thune tweeted out just a little while ago for uh, regarding James Nesta worked out for the L.A. Dodgers a little bit earlier this morning. Uh, commits to the University of Oklahoma to play football a little bit uh, a little bit earlier this afternoon. So all in all, not too bad of a day for James Nesta, uh, the four-star linebacker out of Cornelius, North Carolina. But let's recap some barbecue uh, from over the weekend. I think the minute, you know, Cap, that Oklahoma's SEC schedule was released, many people's first thought, yours and mine included, was the defensive line and how the Sooners need a massive upgrade at, at you know, that position, both talent-wise, but also in uh, from a depth standpoint, we saw that it was one of, if not the biggest position group of guys on campus this past weekend for the barbecue. So what can you tell us about that group of defensive linemen and how much of an impact did Todd Bates and Brent Venables make? Going into the weekend, it was definitely there was definitely a lot of pressure on the staff to, to make uh, an impact with the, recruit, the recruits that came in. There was a lot of strategy involved as far as who they brought in and when. David Stone was in uh, was on campus quite a bit in the days leading up to that. He was uh, it was obviously a big part of of the the process in the weekend. You're meeting guys like McKinley and Nigel Smith uh, as they came in. Uh, from what I've heard uh, coming out of the weekend, OU has uh, OU fans have to be very encouraged with the progress that was made. And when you talk to the various recruits, you know in that defensive line group in particular, it sounds like uh, you hit all the right notes. They did all the right things, said all the right things. They, they put themselves in a really good position with guys like McKinley. And, uh, and so coming out of it, it, when you ask yourself, you know, did OU do what they wanted to? Did they do what they had to? Was it a successful weekend? Uh, even though you didn't come away with any commitments, which I know you fans are really clamoring for and really hoping for, uh, I think you did all that you could do if you're OU mm-hmm. to make sure that when the time comes for these this particular group to make decisions, that that you're right there, if not the leader for uh, for many of these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that was kind of the main theme that we saw a lot of people on social media over the weekend talking about, you know, uh, Florida is lighting it up on the recruiting trail. They're getting commitment after commitment over the last 48 to 72 hours. Texas was able to nab uh, one or two guys. So people were basically saying, this is our biggest recruiting you know, weekend of the year. Where are all the commitments to join the 2024 class? And let's not forget, guys, um, you know, Brent Venable's philosophy, obviously, once you once you commit to play at the University of Oklahoma, no, no further visits are allowed uh, but by any of these recruits that, you know, decide to, to join uh, the Oklahoma family. So uh, let's not, you know, press the panic button anytime soon. This is something that we've seen from Brent Venables, you know, just from the last recruiting cycle where it kind of starts off a little bit slow over the course of the summer. Once you get into the later part of June, early in July, that's when momentum really starts to pick up. And, you know, there's one thing that we know about these guys as recruiters on the staff is that they close in a really big way. So long way to go, but Oklahoma did do themselves – a really big favor with a lot of these guys putting themselves in a good position uh, as we sit here about five months away from National Signing Day. So let's talk quarterback position here, Cap, with Michael Hawkins already committed in the 2024 class. The Sooners had another 2024 quarterback on campus over the weekend in Samaj Jones, the four-star dual-threat kid out of Philadelphia. Talk to us a little bit about Samaj and how realistic that is for Oklahoma and what kind of player they'd be getting. 
So uh, with Samaj Jones, you're getting one of the faster quarterbacks in the country. He is an incredibly athletic prospect. Uh, and he's also very skilled as a passer. And when you look at his tape, it rivals some of the better quarterbacks that are are even higher ranked than he is as far as the, the kind of touch the, that he has on the ball, the ability to deliver it uh, at all the different levels in an offensive scheme. He is uh, he's very, very, very skilled. And one that I would expect uh, to, to go higher in the ranking is depending on a few different factors in his recruitment. But I would definitely put him up there from a skill level with guys like Michael Hawkins and, and, and quarterbacks who are maybe a little bit more well-known to OU fans uh, because, you know, part of it is he's on, he's on the East coast and he's just not that familiar uh, of a prospect for OU fans, but uh, you're getting a, an incredibly athletic guy who's very fast, who's very quick and, and has the kind of passing skills that you uh, don't always see in guys that are kind of that run first option. But um, as far as OU's chances to get Samaj Jones, going into the weekend, talking to sources, the feeling was there was a chance that that OU could close the deal this weekend, if not shortly after. There's also a feeling that the longer this goes, the better the chances are that West Virginia might have to come in because that's – seen by many as, as OU's greatest competition for his services is West Virginia for a number of reasons. But the longer this goes, I think that uh, you'll see West Virginia counter what OU was able to do this weekend because all reports indicate that, that OU uh, made a, lot, a really big impact with his family and, and with Jones himself about how he fits in the levy scheme. And, uh, and I know that, you know, some might question the fact, well, you've got Michael Michael Hawkins already committed. You've got Sperry committed for the 25 class. You've got Jackson Arnold already on campus. Mm-hmm. So what about competition? Well, the other thing that you're getting with Samaj Jones, if he does, if he does sign, he is a competitor through and through. He is not afraid of who might be on the roster. He's very confident in his, in his own abilities. He's got what you know, the the proverbial dog mentality that people talk about. That's definitely uh, who he is, kind of personified as far as just how he goes about uh, his his work and handles his business. So, uh, I, I would definitely like to see him in this class, just based on what I've seen of, of his tape and and what you know of him as a prospect, just from that mindset perspective. But uh, again, I, I think as as we go through the week here. The longer this goes, um, I think West Virginia has a better and better chance. And uh, ultimately, though, if you were to ask me today, I, I think that OU ultimately will end up signing him. Yeah, the Sooners do stand in a really good position, you know, with the with the quarterback. Um, and obviously, you know, from some of the conversations, you know, that, that we've had with some sources, Cap, that's probably one of the biggest, the most appealing things that stands out to me about Samaj Jones, not just the talent on the field, but the mindset that this kid has between the ears where, you know, he's got guys telling him, you know, Michael Hawkins, Oklahoma already has a, a quarterback in the boat for 2024. Why would you want to go to a place like Oklahoma? And because this kid is so competitive, because he has – uh, because he's so determined, he's got such strong willpower. He doesn't care the fact that Michael Hawkins is already in the boat for Oklahoma. He relishes the competition, and he has you know all the belief in his talents that he can come in and compete for that starting job. You know, once he, uh, not just Dylan Gabriel's gone, but you know once Jackson Arnold's time is over uh, at Oklahoma. So it's going to be really fun to see how that shakes out. 
Um, you know, f- go fast forward one more year to the 2025 class. We did get a little bit of news uh, from uh, earlier yesterday. Kevin Sperry, the uh, Oklahoma 2025 quarterback commit, made the decision uh, that he is going to be transferring to play uh, the remainder of his high school career at Carl Albert up in Midwest City. Um, Cap, what uh, what kind of impact, if, if any, does this have on OU's 2025 class? Obviously, losing a guy, um, your your quarterback commit that you know is based down there uh, in North Texas, you know, has really good ties to the Dallas, you know, Fort Worth area. Now he's deciding to take his talents up here a little bit further north, playing ball in the Sooner State. What does this do for Oklahoma's 2025 class, if anything? I think it's got a chance to be very impactful for OU's 2025 class there, and especially when you consider that at Carl Albert alone, there are a number of targets in the 2025 class mm-hmm. that uh, that are considering OU that OU has very high up on the board. Not to mention Xavier Robinson in the 24 class, who Kevin Sperry is already developing a relationship with, already you know, getting to know if you see some of the activities that they're uh, taking part in uh, with unofficial practices. And, and get together as a group of, of teammates there, of new teammates. So uh, I think, no, and, and just seeing Kevin Sperry and how he's gone about recruiting kids uh, since his commitment, he's going to be very active. He's going to be very, uh, very uh, vocal as far as, you know, hey, come, come join me, come, come, you know, do this thing with me. Let's, let's go and, and really make an impact. And so, uh, I think it could be very, very impactful. And the extent to which that's effective is going to depend on a number of things, I think. And it's going to be, it's going to come down to, can Kevin Sperry come in uh, and, and develop those relationships and, and what kind of effect will that have over the next you know year or so? But Kevin Sperry, I think, has the kind of mindset and the personality to really be that that face of the class, that Pied Piper that, that can really pull guys in, and uh, and you saw that at some of the camps that that OU put on over the last couple of weeks too, because mm-hmm. he made an effort to be there at all five of those camps. You had a lot of OK Preps kids that were there, and it never failed. Every time that he was interacting with kids at that camp, and especially the receivers and, and guys on the offensive side of the ball there was a fascination with Kevin Sperry and his ability and, and his charisma and personality just because of, of how good a, a talent that he is, first of all. But he's also got that kind of, of personality that kids are drawn to in a lot of ways. So uh, yeah, time, time will tell. But I, I definitely think it's got a chance to, to really help OU with a lot of their, uh, their OK preps uh, targets in the 2025 class. Cap, let's talk running backs here for a second. Obviously, Oklahoma has had, you know, all three of their main running back targets on campus over the last four to five days, and Xavier Robinson, Caden Durham, and then obviously uh, Taylor Tatum. Now, you know, we heard a lot of good things coming out of Xavier Robinson's camp, and, you know, we still continue to do so um, over the last, you know, 24 to 48 hours. And then during the course of the Champion Barbecue Weekend, Caden Durham, Taylor Tatum being on campus, this was really going to be DeMarco Murray's best opportunity to make a splash and really kind of get these two kids, you know, if not both, at least one of them on board to join this 2024 class. And we heard a lot of really, really good things coming out of uh, coming out of Norman Saturday night with regards to Caden Durham. So I know the social media was kind of on fire early Sunday morning and everybody was kind of waiting to see like, okay, 
I know that USC has made a has made a huge run with Taylor Tatum, you know, the number one running back in the country out of Longview, Texas. And then we wake up this morning, and it kind of feels like Oklahoma, through the efforts of DeMarco Murray and Jeff Levy, but also on the baseball side of things with Skip Johnson and his staff, Oklahoma was able to really make up some ground with Taylor Tatum over the last, you know, 24 hours. So just talk a little bit about the running back position and uh, where you think Oklahoma stands right now with those three. Yeah, this has been probably one of, if not the position where you've seen the most shifting as far as OU's momentum over the last three or four days with, Mm -hmm. with all of their top targets in Robinson and Durham and and Tatum and, and Tatum and Robinson in particular, but start with Robinson. You know, he was on campus middle of last week. Uh, he um, he is somebody who, if you go back, you know, two or three weeks ago, was more likely to go to Ohio or not Ohio State, but Iowa State, and mm-hmm. uh, and there was a lot of momentum towards him choosing the Cyclones and and ultimately ending up there, and then through a couple of different factors, but, but a lot of, of DeMarco Murray's efforts and, and OU's efforts at, at really prioritizing that relationship, that momentum started to shift towards OU. And uh, you saw that really, really heat up uh, around two weeks ago and, and really continued into that barbecue as a weekend to the point where Xavier Robinson at this point, uh, I believe it's just a matter of time before he commits to OU. And, uh, and that's, that was definitely the feeling going into the weekend. You've seen a lot of predictions from different uh, recruiting writers and experts that, that would back that up. But uh, at this point, again, I think OU fans had to feel very good about where OU stands with, with Robinson. With Durham, uh, LSU has, has been, the, uh, has been the, the primary competition there for quite a while. With their track program, they present a lot of different things that are attractive to Caden and his family. So, uh, and and it's kind of on a similar timeline as, as Xavier Robinson almost as far as, you know, when you look at two or three weeks ago and, and how LSU was definitely in the picture and and thought of by many as, as the leader for his services, DeMarco Murray and OU have, have slowly uh, chipped away at that and – to the point where going into the barbecue weekend, OU had some work to do, I think, to really get back in that, that lead spot. But they were they were right there. And then based on how the weekend went, uh, the consensus from the people that I'm talking to is that, that OU has put themselves in a really, really good position. And uh, for Caden Durham and Michael Patterson-McDonald and David Stone and, and Xavier Robinson, these are guys that grew up together that have known each other for a really long time. OU is really pushing that as far as, uh, you know, as a way to really gain momentum with this group and, and Robinson and Durham in particular. And uh, the relationship that Murray has built with both of those guys is, is definitely showing through here and, and making a big impact. So uh, it's really interesting just to kind of watch how that has shifted. Those two things have obviously shifted, but when you look at what's <laughs> happening with Taylor Tatum, that is a whole other level because when when you when you think about yesterday, and I, I told some people earlier today, as of nine o'clock last night, roughly ra- around there, Tatum was going to USC, and 
and, and everybody that I had talked to, sources at OU, sources on the USC side, and just about anybody that you would talk to, I, I think, mm-hmm. would would basically tell you mm-hmm. that, that USC was in the lead at, at some level and for a number of reasons. But apparently there was a lot of conversation and the OU baseball staff got involved and made a pitch to Tatum that really resonated with him and his family. Uh, and to the point where, and, and you know, to the point where now when you look at it and, and you talk to sources, uh, Tatum is very much trending towards OU and OU is, is, considerably the leader at this point, which is <laughs> wild to think about. Now, I will say, uh, the longer this goes on, if it stretches past, say, this weekend, I think that USC is going to have a chance to counter, obviously, in the coming days. Mm-hmm. And you have to be aware of that if you're an OU fan, because if there's one school <laughs> that Lincoln Riley does not want to lose a recruiting battle to for an offensive skill player, it's probably OU. <laughs> And just based on the history there and just a, just a pride factor and nothing else. So we'll see what happens, but I, I think this decision is going to come down uh, pretty quickly based on, on what some others are, are saying and, and what you hear from around Tatum and his family. So uh, again, if you want to talk momentum and being in the best position possible and, mm-hmm. and doing everything that you're, that you possibly can do, Hmm. OU has has done that and more as far as uh, pulling Tatum back from what seemed like an, an inevitable uh, decision for USC. Mm-hmm. One final one here for you, and then we'll transition away from the running back position. Obviously, it's hard to kind of forecast and project what the running back room is going to look like in the 2024 season. But obviously, you know, you just base it off of eligibility. You know, I think that it's probably a fair assumption to think that going into next season, 2024, you're still going to have Barnes. You're still going to have Sawchuck, uh, Caleb Hicks, Dalen Smothers. You're going to have four quality running backs in that room. So Oklahoma, with them, you know, being in such good standing with three of these guys in Robinson, Durham, and Tatum, is, are all three of all three of these guys a take for Oklahoma? Is it first two on board? Obviously, Taylor Tatum being the number one, <clears throat> excuse me, running back in the country, he's going to have a spot. But is this basically a we're interested in all taking all three, or is it the first two in the boat type of scenario for Demarco? At this point, OU is, and this is you know what I believe just based on on talking to various people. OU is not going to say no to either Tatum or Durham. Mm-hmm. And, and Xavier Robinson has a spot no matter what. If he decides to come, then, then you're not, you're not going to turn him down as one of the top in-state prospects uh, and, and a sure. very good running back in his own right. So you know, my thought has been, and I think this is echoed by quite a few people, just depending on who you talk to, but – if it's a situation where all three decide to come to OU, there are roles that OU can uh, can create for all three of them at different points. Obviously, you've got Tatum and Durham as the as the running backs, but you have a guy like Robinson who has the capability to play not only running back but also H back or or some position like that, depending on what you know Levy can work with in his scheme. So there's room in the class and. And if you look at that room and kind of forecast it out over the next you know, two, three years, uh, there's definitely a, a good fit for taking that many in this class and then maybe scaling back what you take in 25, mm-hmm. depending on what the, how the numbers work out and everything else. But 
just because of the talent represented there and uh, and a guy like Robinson who is very skilled in his own right but also uh, is that, that kind of the in-state prospect and you, you don't want to damage relationships by pulling a scholarship and, and not taking a guy after you've made him a priority and offered him. I don't think there's I don't think there's any way that OU turns down any of the three if they mm-hmm. decide to say yes. They'll figure out the numbers on the back end. Well, if there's one thing that we know, especially with OU making the transition into the SEC in 2024, playing that type of physicality in that schedule, game after game, week after week, there's you can never have too many running backs in the room at your disposal for Jeff Levy and Demarco Murray to to have at their disposal. So, um, I'll, let me give you another one here, Cap. Obviously. Offensive line, Oklahoma going into the SEC, the trenches, that's absolutely pivotal, being able to hold your own and dominate like we've seen from Georgia and Alabama You know, over the better part of the last 10 to 15 years. You've got to be able to, to hold up and dominate in the trenches. We've had a lot of recruits um, on the offensive line in Norman over the past couple of weeks, but we haven't really heard much chatter from inside the program. When do you think Oklahoma fans will feel better about offensive line recruiting? for the 2024 class because they just got uh three-star Isaiah Autry uh, committed at this point. When you look at, at the, the visit schedule for a lot of these guys mm-hmm. and, and right now, if you're looking at the, the OU board, it's guys like Grant Briggs and Casey Poe and, and a few others that are in there. You, you got Bennett Warren as well. Those are the, the main ones. That I think you're going to have some kind of clarity on sooner than later. Uh, and and when I say sooner sooner than later, and answering your question specifically, I think it's going to be sometime in July where the the picture becomes clearer for you and where they stand with some of these top prospects. Um, I don't know. I, I think if if you're an OU fan, you would have liked to have seen a little bit more momentum and clarity coming out of that July 9th or June 9th visit weekend, right before uh, the, the the this previous weekend at the barbecue where. They had a lot of those offensive line commitments, or not uh, commitments, but the uh, prospects and recruits in trying to, to really focus on them during that weekend. Mm-hmm. But, you know, without that, there's a lot, there's just a lot of different moving parts as far as, uh, as far as visits and, and momentum for guys like Poe and Warren in particular. <clears throat> and um, and we're, we're going to see how it plays out. Casey Poe has been on, on campus here uh, over the last day or so, Bennett Warren, uh, is, OU's primary competition there is Michigan. Uh, for Warren, I, from what I've heard, OU did a really good job with him over the weekend because uh, he was at the barbecue this weekend. Mm-hmm. So uh, OU did a really good job with, with Warren to the point where uh, if, if he's not having OU as his leader currently, I, I think they're really close in there with Michigan. So there's work to do still uh, for Bill Biedenboe. But, uh, but I think sometime in July you're going to feel you know, better about that, or at least we're going to know where OU stands more so than we do now. Sure, sure. One last question for you, Kat, and then we'll get you out of here. Looking at this class as a whole, obviously you've got your quarterback and Michael Hawkins on board. I think OU currently sits right now at eight commits in the class, currently the number 16th ranked class nationally in, uh, in class rankings according to On3 which is actually ranked eighth in the SEC rankings right now. So obviously still some work to go. You've got David Stone. That's the holy grail. That's the most highly coveted recruit that Oklahoma simply has to land in the class of 2024. 
what are your what are realistic expectations for how high this class can finish once uh, once we put a bow on it here in a few months? I think the the ceiling is probably top five, probably number five, and then the floor is probably eight or nine, depending on uh, on where things fall. And in order to be in that that top five or maybe push into top four, you've got to have guys like McKinley and Terry Bussey and and some of these other really highly rated guys fall your way if you're OU. So you know, barring that, if I if I had to guess, it's going to be somewhere in that 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 four to eight, five to nine range, depending on who you follow. And and if I had to really you know, pick a number at this point, I'd say somewhere around seven, just to to find a happy medium in there because. Uh, there's a lot of different ways this could go, and um, and we'll have to see how it plays out. But that's my that's my best guess based on current information. Cool. Rapid fire. One last question here for you, Cap. Obviously, obviously, there's been a lot of talk on social media over the last week with the the 2024 schedule for the inaugural season for OU going into the SEC. It was released. Alabama, Tennessee, and South Carolina coming to Norman. You've seen people mostly on the positive side of the spectrum, but you've also seen maybe a few people that are a little bit nervous. I don't know if scared's the right word, but anxiety is a little bit higher knowing what's coming down the pipeline for Oklahoma. Cap, what are just your overall initial thoughts on Oklahoma's transition into the SEC and how how competitive do you think we as, as fans should expect Oklahoma to be? Because it's going to take some time. I think we're fooling ourselves to expect that Oklahoma is going to just go in to the SEC right away and, you know, compete for, you know, nine, 10 wins a season. It's going to take a little bit of an adjustment period, especially in the trenches. You've got to build up that quality depth. Personally, I, I welcome the increase in the level of competition personally. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be far more entertaining just from a fan standpoint to watch these games against the likes of Tennessee and Alabama and South Carolina versus the, the typical uh, big 12 home schedule that you've seen, or even the, the full schedule that you've seen in conference for quite a while, uh, basically ever since Nebraska and uh, Colorado and, and Missouri left the conference. So uh, I'm excited just from a fan standpoint, from a competitive standpoint, what you can expect for OU on the field going into the SEC. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely going to take some time uh, I I would expect there to be more losses, but I think the season will be more fun overall. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and I think that applies to not just the fans, but also the team. Because uh, one of the reasons that, that, pros- that recruits have been drawn to the SEC is that pull of playing against the best week in and week out. And I, I expect OU, if you look at historically – what OU does, they, they typically rise to the level of their competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I expect that to hold true here. And so definitely important to close on some of these defensive line recruits and get more up to SEC level uh, standard there in that position group in particular. And, uh, and I think it's going to take, you know, even if they sign this new class, uh, you sign a lot of these guys in this new class, it's going to take them a year or two to adjust and develop to the point where they make the kind of impact that can change a game at an SEC level. But I think overall you have to be really excited about it as, mm-hmm. as both uh, a fan and as somebody on the team about the prospects of it. 
And, uh, and yeah, you might end up with more years than, than you're used to where you lose three games or so, but those years where you're, you're getting 10, 11 wins and competing for a conference title, I think is going to be even more entertaining than it ever has been mm-hmm. uh, just based on, on who you have to beat to get there. You know, Cal, I think that that was one of the biggest, you know, takeaways for me. I was in attendance for OU Georgia at the Rose Bowl. I was in attendance for OU LSU in the Peach Bowl a few years ago where, you know, Joe Burrow just absolutely torched Oklahoma. And I walked out of that stadium that game just thinking, yes, Oklahoma is good, but there's levels to this game. And until Oklahoma joins the SEC and they're able to go through that type of schedule, that type of preparation that, you know, truly prepares you, for postseason football, and obviously, you know, the the 12-team playoff is coming up. Uh, I think that Oklahoma basically got kind of stalled out a little bit with our time here in the Big 12 in terms of the the competition not adequately preparing us from what we're going to see from a Georgia or a Bama or an LSU. So, yeah, there's going to be some growing pains, and, you know, you might have some seasons where you lose three or four games, but ultimately for Oklahoma to get where they want to go as a program to compete for that eighth national championship – I think that Oklahoma is heading in the in the right direction, and it's up to Brent Venables in this program uh, to kind of carry the torch and, you know, um, carry the rock up the hill. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And uh, when you look at, at Brent Venables and how he has structured this program since he came on board, it has been with the SEC in mind. Mm-hmm. And competition typically will force you to become better whether you want to or not, going into that experience. And uh, Brent Venables and the staff and the OU administration, they're very competitive people themselves. And nobody in the program wants to be embarrassed or feel like they haven't done everything that they can do leading up to this, this transition to be competitive and and to have a good showing as a program and as a team. So, uh, you know, it's very, very encouraging to see everything that is going on inside the program that you know has to be done uh, in order to put OU in the best position possible. And that includes everything from new facilities to how recruiting is being approached and support mm-hmm. staff and everything else. So there, there's already things that we've been able to see where even, even the, the knowledge that that competition is just around the corner has spurred OU to do in order to put themselves in the best, in the best position. And when you're competing against the best like this week in and week out, as OU will be, there's no, there's no room for fooling yourself into thinking that you're better than you actually are. <laughs> so you you get – you get exposed if you're not ready, if you're not prepared, if you're not good, uh, if you're not ready to compete, then mm-hmm. you're going to know. And you're not going to be in a position where you go into a bowl game wondering if you're, if you're better than or if you're good enough to compete at that level and compete for a championship. So it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, Oklahoma's going to have their hands full. They're going to find out right away in the in the first season in the SEC kind of where this program stands. And, you know, last thing I'll put a bow on this, it's, you know, it's exciting not just for the coaching staff and for the program and the players, but it's also exciting too for the fans because 
after this season, done are the days where you you get the schedule poster and you see, oh, well, hell, Kansas and Iowa State or, or West Virginia or TCU are coming to Oklahoma. You know, that just doesn't really stir up the energy like what we're, you know, what we're going to see when you've got Nick Saban or Josh Heupel in the Vols or Shane Beamer, uh, you know, kind of bringing that resurging South Carolina team into uh, into Norman. So it, it's going to force not just the football team to set their game up, but also the fan base as a whole. You look at tailgating some of the changes that are coming down the pipeline that are being talked about, uh, but also the game day atmosphere, especially inside the stadium. You know, I worked in the ticket. Uh, you know, I worked in the ticket office for you know over three years. I've had all those conversations with fans that are always griping about you know the the music being too loud or the person standing up in front of me, different things like that. All of those, all of those complaints, all of that frustration, that goes out the window because when you're in the SEC and Oklahoma fans are going to be traveling to away games next year, you're going to Baton Rouge, you're going to the Grove, you're going to find out real quick that Oklahoma. Our fan base as a whole, we've got it. We think that we're diehard, and we are to a certain extent. But in terms of passion and game day atmosphere, there's a whole other level that we've got to get to as a program and as a fan base. Uh, and it's going to be an eye opening experience those first couple of years in the SEC. And I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it should it should be a great time. I'm looking forward to seeing how OU rises to the occasion, mm-hmm. and and not just the team, but also the fans. I, I think we've uh, we've got a long ways to go to get there, but uh, you, you see the pieces moving, and it's 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 encouraging. It's going to be fun to watch. Well, Cap, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us this evening. And as always, everybody, if you're not if you're on Twitter right now and you're not currently following uh, Captain Four Hundred Five, encourage you to follow him. It's at Cap underscore Four Hundred Five in terms of recruiting, in terms of knowledge, in terms of anything regarding OU football. Um, he's one of the best out there, so highly encourage you to follow along. And that's going to do it for us tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Appreciate you guys for joining us. Adam will be back next week, Cat 405. Look forward to having you on again a little bit uh, a little bit later as we get closer to football season. So appreciate your time, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. It's uh, always great and uh, good talking to you. I appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you guys, all of you, for tuning in and listening, and we'll see everybody back on here next week for another episode of the Mainline Podcast. 